Bright city lights from day to midnight Break the clouds and descend from bird flight Bright city lights I'm going to talk a little bit about the power of collaboration and how we can use that to design more socially cohesive cities. In particular, I'm going to use the example of social housing to illustrate that. So I think some common themes have come out today about the idea of a city as a system, very complex to understand, lots of different parameters in all the decision making. The idea that essentially people are at the bottom of it and there's actually a lot of um, similarity that we share. There's a lot of inspiration to be drawn from the ordinary lives of Cape Townians. Um, yesterday I got briefly interviewed by these guys who are filming. They asked me what is the most inspiring hotspot in Cape Town. I couldn't identify a specific space. If you think of anywhere in Cape Town, you will find inspiring people doing amazing things. Um, loads of community ground action happening, so go out there and find it. Okay. Okay, so collaboration for a livable city. Today is one step towards that. A lot of the talks that we've heard are about a livable city. Richard Perez spoke very nicely about this idea of a complex city containing loads of parameters. But if we look at our systems of education and of governments, they operate in silos. We focus on the differences between the two, or the multiple, instead of the common ground and the fundamentals that link them and the similarities. Intuitively, we know that things are connected. We'll move in conversation freely from transport to the cost of food to early childhood development, and we never feel that it's sort of artificially interrupted. But in planning and governance and education, we separate those things out. This results in a lot of false dichotomies in our thinking. It's either a financial investment or a social investment. In planning, trying to bring together all of these different fields and different multiple disciplines, we go through reiterative processes of trying to bring them all together. Unfortunately, this often leads in what is called the sort of washing machine effect, where um, an idea goes round and round and round through multiple permutations and we never see something landing on the ground. District 6, a classic example, Monrobisi development at Kailicha, another one. So if we try to sort of imagine how all these various parameters of um, people, education, space, transport, public open space, buildings, houses, um, technology, everything, and how they tie together, we have these very complex systems and you sort of imagine yourself in this 4D web, the fourth dimension being time, and how, you know, what happens if I tug this string, what will happen here, and we don't know. There's algorithms and complex models that are used to predict this, but it's based a lot on assumptions, and often assumptions by a ruling elite who are out of base and out of touch with the realities on the ground. The further into the future we're looking, with these, the more likely that these assumptions are actually false. Economists will try to sort of measure relationships uh, through society by tracking uh, transactions in society and seeing where that leads and look at multiplier effects and that, but it's a very narrow understanding. Um, doesn't capture the true value of what is happening on the ground. A good example of this is known as the clothesline paradox, 
where if I choose to, if I have the luxury of choosing in the first place to uh, wash or dry my laundry on a clothesline, I have saved money on electricity, but that is not captured in the system. It will be captured in the choice of how I spend that money in the next transaction. So my choice to, to dry my washing on the clothing, which has a value, uh, environmentally or otherwise, is not captured. It will be captured in something else. So the value that we capture in our traditional models of quantifying and measuring what's happening in society and consumer choices are not really a true reflection of the value that's created out in society. And this influences political decisions about planning and how we distribute land and all of this. It becomes further complex when we look at the fact that we are a globally connected system, so where do we draw the line in space and time and geography that this is internal and within our parameters and within our control and goes into this sort of algorithm and the rest is external? Where do we draw that line? And often we end up with unexpected results as a result of poor assumptions going into these models. So I really like the idea of this sort of design a city where we're becoming a lot more innovative, testing, trying, see what works, break the mold, do things differently. We're not going to always know what results, but at least stick your head out there and try something. So bringing it back to people, I'm going to talk a bit more about social housing, but I think I need to define it first. When I talk about social housing, I'm talking about rental housing that is targeted at people earning between about 3,000 and 10,000 rand a month. So it is not going to address the people who are unemployed, who need to earn an income. It is not a silver bullet by any imagination, but it does provide affordable housing to those who cannot afford a bond. They cannot afford to rent anywhere in the central city at the moment. Um, and really that needs to change if we want to increase access to all of these spaces, like was mentioned earlier, that you know, the Cape Town CBD is actually safe and walkable and more people should be able to enjoy that 24-7, we need to have a greater diversity and a higher density of pop population in the central city. One way to achieve that is through making more affordable housing available. The city has recently realized that they're not the best agent to do this. They signed an agreement with social housing institutions. And these institutions are established. They have skills in not only building and managing and maintaining and sort of leasing out to social housing, but actually in running community programs that build co cohesion between neighborhoods uh, make sure that neighbors actually know each other, that the single mom knows the retired lady down the road, and they can actually work together in society. If we look at the central city, 50,000 people living here, privileged people mostly, 400,000 coming in every day. How do we make opportunities for more of these people to actually live in the central city? I think we've all seen this figure before, the population density of Cape Town. Um, and the pattern at the moment is for government to sweat our assets, it's our land that they are custodians of, for the highest financial uh, amount and reinvest that money on the outskirts. This model is inherently unsustainable. Um, it reinforces spatial uh, social divides. We are familiar with this sort of argument of the tale of two cities, but between these two cities are the same people with the same rights. 
and very similar interests. We share the same future. The cost of sprawl, again, difficult to estimate, but we know that it costs more to implement transport systems and similar, the greater the distance that you're trying to cover. So rather, a, com a compact, dense city where more people are living in close proximity to each other means more viable public transport systems, more activated public spaces, and if it's people of different income groups, more likelihood of improve uh, life for future generations because you get people actually engaging, children going to school with, with children whose parents are from different backgrounds, and actually uh, benefiting from that. I'm going to run out of time. <laughs> Um, the idea is not to limit the horizons of the city. Of course, investment in all areas needs to take place. Um, this is really just about improving the way in which we manage land and distribute land in the central city as one component of a multi-pronged approach. The central city has had its own story, and that story is not yet finished. So it's about the future of that. How do we revive the inner city uh, through densification and affordable housing and better land use management? Again, it's not just about housing, it's about dealing with or managing and assisting homeless people, it's about public space, it's about open streets, it's about creativity and culture, um, music, all of these things. But really, integral to all of that is the people. And the people have the right to access the central city. It's about the nurse who's a single mom who doesn't want to commute 45, 50 minutes a day into the central city and could be housed in a social housing unit. It's about the, the men who spend every day making our spaces beautiful, making our streets safe and clean and welcoming for visitors. They too should be able to retire and enjoy the spaces they've spent their life creating. So we always have people who say, no, it can't be done. They'll never let us do that. They assume that nimbyism will occur. They assume to know what poor people want in terms of housing, that people won't want this. They forget that there's actually 80,000 Cape Tonians already living in flats, in council flats, often very degraded. And 39% of the people in the target income group are living in shacks. So I'm sure they would appreciate the opportunity to have an apartment. We need to find the people who say yes. So let's look at where it's working elsewhere. It's happening, I could have chosen all sorts of cities, Paris, London, all over. I just really grabbed a few. This is the social housing development in t Toronto, Canada. It really doesn't look that bad. Um, it's a mixture of market housing, so there's bonded sectional title units and social housing. There's a cultural academy in the same building. Uh, Regent Park in Canada is 69 acres of mixed-use development. I think about 60 or 70 percent of that is social housing. Includes parks, retail, places to work, all sorts of things. Just a nice sort of green version in Berlin. Interior of a social housing unit in San Francisco. Singapore did something amazing. Between 1960 and 1965, they completely wiped out their housing backlog through commitment by government to develop social housing. And they've managed to not slip back into a backlog by providing housing in a way that um, ensures that construction starts as soon as 65% of it is taken up. 
the Netherlands, 35% of all housing stock in the Netherlands is social housing. And something happening in Brazil. Um, how do we do this in Cape Town? I've got one minute, okay. <laughs> we need commitment, first of all, to a city that promotes democracy, human rights and economic opportunity now. We need pilots that demonstrate how this works to overcome any fears. But more than pilots, we need to then have commitment to roll them out rapidly after that. We need to say yes to additionalities in the way we release land, that we not only value it on the highest price value, but the value of social cohesion, the value of density, the value of public transport, all of that gets included in the terms of references. We need, yeah, that's the same thing, sorry. <laughs> we need planning processes that are flexible, that help make these things viable by being flexible on heights or parking allowances and so on. And finally, we need a willingness to collaborate. These systems work in other countries through partnerships between social housing institutions, private developers, government, and the public sector in general, members of society actually working to make it work. So we've seen earlier the City 2.0 wish. The key point there is I'm not yet de determined. We can't accept the reality of now, of, this, of the spatial division in society. We need to be committed to changing that. And it comes from ourselves, everybody in this room. Even if social housing isn't your thing, go out there, meet somebody, introduce yourself to your neighbor. We're all engaging on Twitter with strangers more readily than the person next to us. Go out, go visit Monobisi, see what's happening. Um, share ideas, find somebody to partner with, and do something awesome. Thank you.